The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this episode are that of the guest and host and do not necessarily reflect the values of sponsors or other associated organizations. Welcome to the Parental Compass, presented by Family Education and Support Services. I am your host, Bobby Williams. Please subscribe to the show. We'll notify you every week when we drop the next episode. We did it, y'all. We made it past 2021. You know, kind of a mixed bag of a year, but we persevered. We're strong people. I want to thank everyone who has been part of the Parental Compass with us, all the guests who took the time to come on, the supporters, and most of all, you, the listeners and viewers. Thank you for being part of this journey with us. Today, we're going to take a look back on the last year. I compiled a few of my favorite moments from the show. There was so much to go through, but these were just a few moments that stood out. Let's start with a clip where I speak with Dr. Mary Konshinka about what to do when your child's having a total meltdown. Let's check it out. Missed your chance, like you've been on a airplane and you're picking up your bags. The, the child is just super frustrated from this whole process and they're on full on flipping out mode. At that point, you know, it's damage control. Um, they're gone. They're in this complete state of, they've been emotionally hijacked. They're gone. And so if you can, you get them to a quieter space. Um, the bottom line is you keep them safe. You keep people and things around them safe and, and do what it takes to calm them down. For some children, you might, and depending on ages, you might be able to just hold them um, and, and comfort them with a hug. Other kids, that would be too stimulating. And so it's just like, let's get to a quiet place. I'm here, I'm near, but I'm not touching you and I'm not talking to you. Um, and so I'm not adding any stimulation because they're already overwhelmed. And for me, it's knowing this is not a teachable moment. He can't mm -hmm. hear me. He can't, he can't problem solve with me. And so my first job is simply to calm him. And then later, and again, depending on the age of the child, it could be a few minutes, older kids, it could be a week later. Hmm. Um, hopefully it's sooner than that. Then we can go back for the redo to help them understand what happened, clarify we don't want that to happen again, and then teach words and actions that would be more appropriate in the future. Here's a clip where I speak with Dr. Hillary Cash about how video games are designed to be addictive. Video games are designed to be addictive. Children are not going to want to stop gaming. Hmm. And so it's much harder to set limits on gaming than it is to set limits on other forms of uh, personal enjoyable screen time. Yeah. Do you think they're getting better at making it more addictive? Or I imagine probably with Pong or something, it, it wasn't as bad. 
<laughs> no, they they hire psychologists to help them analyze the data. You know, artificial intelligence is combing through the data all the time. Uh, when when games are being developed, you know, Valve is a very very successful gaming company, for instance, that's right here in Bellevue, Washington. They have a psychologist on their team who's analyzing the data and saying, okay, this is where we're losing players. We need to make some adjustments and see if we can keep our players there. We don't want to lose them. Yeah. Let's experiment with this little funny hat that they can buy and let's see if they will buy it. And, and they do. Oh my gosh. Let's see what else we can offer them. It's almost like that psychologist is your polar opposite and yeah. a yin to your yang here, you know. And I have to tell you, I was uh, on a tour through Valve mm -hmm. 10 years ago or so, and, and I, they didn't know my work. And I just totally felt like I was a mole. <laughs> like the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> on this one, I speak with Scott Hanauer about the importance of body language. All the ways that we communicate to kids, 55% is body language. So they're paying 55, they're paying 55% to a parent's body language. 35% is tone of voice. That only leaves 10% for words. So when we have, you know, and we're a parent who uses a lot of words and who tends to lecture a lot or uh, moralize or give lots of advice, what the data tells us is kids really aren't listening to any of that, but what they are paying attention to is the tone of voice and the body language when the parent is talking. And for somebody like me as a parent, that was really disappointing because I felt like I had all this wisdom to give my kids. Um, it was to know that they're only listening to 10% is, is, was a bit of a shock, quite frankly. Well, they're picking up on your overall vibe. Here's Cassie Trotter speaking with me about the importance of setting boundaries with family members who are dealing with addiction. Um, really, setting boundaries is going to be the most important thing. You know, if it is a you know mom, dad, grandma, a kid, even I mean, we are getting teens, you know, who are struggling with addiction. Just mm -hmm. having those boundaries not saying that you have to cut anybody out of your life, but if your boundary is you can't, you know, be here while you're actively using, you have to hold that boundary. If you don't, then there are no boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. It's just like a kid or a dog. Once they, they get what they want, they're going to continue to do that because it's easy and it's just important. And I would say for your own self-care, um, and just respect for yourself, having those boundaries and being able to hold them and just be ready when that person is willing to accept those boundaries and those changes. In this clip, Helen Che speaks with me about drowning prevention. And in movies, drowning seems to always be depicted as this like, help, oh, like splashing around like big thing. But in reality, right. drowning is a lot more quiet than that, right? Or what, what does that look like? Right, so most people, you're right, do have a misconception that drowning is very obvious. Um, you know, they, they may look for signs that aren't there. So they'll assume that, you know, 
a person should be screaming or flailing their arms, you know, if they're in danger. But that, in, in reality, um, that's not always the case. Drowning tends to occur pretty quietly. Um, so parents should be mindful of silence. You know, if, mm. you know, watch your kids when they're in the pool, keep your eyes on them. Um, you know, don't expect that you can hear them, that you'd be able to hear them if, if something went wrong. Yeah. So uh, when people are drowning, they may not be they may not be yelling because they're they're trying to gasp for air, right? Julie Ross came on the show and we spoke about joint custody and how you can treat your ex almost as if they were a business partner. Explain right. that. What does that mean? So a lot of parents um, you know, are familiar with business models. And um, so but they don't, they treat their ex as if they are still in a personal or intimate relationship with them. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that involves all these emotions we've been talking about. So I tell parents to treat your ex as if you are business partners with a billion dollar account at stake. And of course, in this metaphor, the children are the billion dollar accounts, right? You have a billion dollars at stake. So are you, you you may not like your business partner. You may have started out liking your business partner when you started in business, but you may not like them anymore, right? And so, but are you going to go in and start hurling insults um, to someone who can damage this bill, you know, billion dollar account? I don't think so, right? There's too much at stake there. So you have to think about it as how can I make this a a business arrangement? How can I make it as respectful as possible? Talk about the facts, um, you know, uh, acknowledge concerns about the business, um, but not get into the below the belt fighting that so often happens with both married couples and divorced people. Um, it's, it's about keeping it, um, it's, it's about keeping it mature. When Randall Wyatt came on the show, he talked with me about advocating for his children at school. Has anything worked for you as far as being a good advocate and showing up at the school or anything like that? Absolutely. Uh, me and their mom are a terror. Uh (laughs) We're a terror to the school system. Her especially, she's even more of a terror than me. She will email them nonstop. She'll show up. She'll, you know, she she's no she's no punk about it. And I'm I'm right there, right behind her, you know, uh, or right beside her. Mm-hmm. We we don't we don't let up. And we know we we study. We even hired an IEP uh, lawyer to go over their IEP and find out all the services and figure out if they don't provide the services, what the school system has to do for our kids if they if they can't provide the services on the IEP. That was huge because they really started doing, they really started working hard on figuring out what to, what to do for our kids after we brought the lawyer in, into it. Um, well, that was their school system, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. We, so, and it also educated us on the IEP because the language can be a little complex. It's a lot of jargon, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, you know, that's one thing, that's one of my pet peeves is, complicated language when it doesn't need to be complicated yeah um, so yeah that that was effective it just really staying on them because they're actually not used to that we get a lot of compliments from from school systems from from schools of how hard we go for our kids and how much we advocate because 
a lot of parents don't have don't have that capacity and, and just kind of fall back. Emily McMason was interesting. She explained how sometimes when you wake up at four in the morning, it's actually a chemical reason why you're feeling anxious. Why does your body do that little like twitchy thing? What's that all about? So part of it is as it's descending into sleep, the muscles need to be doing different things. Um, we're, we're towards stage three where we're going to totally relax. And so sometimes it's just that that energy um, is getting released along the way as we're changing our state of consciousness from awake to asleep. Sometimes I'll just like wake up and I'm just like instantly anxious. Like I'll wake up at like four in the morning. And mm -hmm. is there some connection between being anxious and four in the morning? It's a Yes. So great question. You ask really good questions, by the Thank way. <laughs> um, yes. Serotonin, which is sort of considered our happiness hormone, um, has its dip in those early morning hours, how much we have it in our body in a 24 hour time period, that's when it hits its lowest. So we're sort of the least content at that time in the morning. Um, the other piece is if we have stress from the day before, our cortisol uh, load, our, our the cortisol hormone will be very high in our bodies. Um, and that's kind of what's waking us up one sleep cycle too soon. Um, and so when we wake up, it's, you know, we're waking up because we've got too much stress in our bodies. Mm. When Simon Kalkavecchia came on the show, he explained how using the word lame is actually a slur. One of the things that I am actually teaching a lot of people is about the word lame. Mm -hmm. It's been pretty common in our society to use lame to describe something that is boring, that isn't cool. And lame also has another meaning, which is to be or have a physical disability, to be crippled. And to have that be part of the common language as a way to describe something that is negative is something that I've really become aware of in the last few years. Mm -hmm. And I am teaching people when I hear it, I say, hey, you know, when you say that, I start to think about that issue of almost, it's, it's not hatred, it's, I don't feel like it's hatred, but it's, it's, uh, and it's not discrimination, but it's just something that need, people need to be conscious of when we say those words. Howard Winkler talked with me about how in times of stress, you can fall back on the parenting styles of your parents, even if you don't want to. I used to say to people, we either deify or we deny our parent. We uh -huh. either we either love so much what they did, we, we could hardly ever be as good a parent as they were. Or something happened and we're going like, I need to be a much better parent to my child. And for those people, which includes most of us, we want to do better, at least, um, not to be judging our parents harshly, but we want to do better. And, and, and so it's very often we'll say, we'll find ourselves very often saying, wow, I swore I'd never do that to my kid, and I just did it. Yeah. And, 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 and the phrase I use to describe that is, is under pressure, we sing the only song we know even if we hate the tune.
Yeah. Well, you know, I was thinking as you were saying all this, that you can intellectually know something, but then when you're heated or something or in the heat of the moment or your kid really aggravated you, it's like, it's harder to avoid that pattern. What can you do in that moment where you're just heated and you know you don't want to make a mistake here? So my friend Shelly, who began this uh, winning a parenting program, what's well, fast, whatever, what she would say is that timeouts are for parents. Uh-huh. We send a kid to the room to take a timeout. But actually what we need to do is, is not go to our room because we're lesser in power. We need to get some space. And so in the moment when we know, uh-oh, this is me acting out of some strong feeling, et cetera, and I'm, I'm venting, whatever. It's not for somebody else to say, hey, you need to stop that. We can tell ourselves, whoa, this isn't, you know, I'm going to say something I wish I hadn't said. So let me stop the show. There's, for a parent to say, I'm going to give us a timeout. We'll come back in a half an hour and then make sure to keep the appointment, by the way. But if you're doing that, it's okay to put the conversation on hold. Aaron Freely talked about listening to your children without always just trying to find the solution or the answer to things, being an active listener. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but just practicing those active listening skills where when you're talking to teens, um, instead of jumping to solutions or problem solving their issues, just being a safe person for teens to talk to um, so that when, when a teen comes to you talking about some dynamic that's happening in their relationship, they know that you're a person that they can just they can just tell them what's going on. Um, and being someone else to hear that and help them process, you know, is this working for me? Is this good for me? Are there other options that I might want to explore in this relationship, this situation? Yeah. I think what you touched on of wanting to like find the solution or that's such a parent instinct. Mm -hmm. like, Absolutely. Okay, let's fix this. And yeah. so you kind of have to fight your instincts in a way with that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because it is ultimately a teen's decision. Um, and they are like, they have autonomy at the point that they're a teenager um, and they have a right to make their own decisions. Um, so how do you act as a safe person that they can process those decisions with while remaining, um, while giving the teen the power and control over their own life and their own relationships, you know? When Chris Moon came on the show, she explained how poor nutrition can sometimes be mistaken for ADHD. It seems like a lot of kids are getting diagnosed with ADD. And we've talked before about how maybe sometimes what looks like ADD could just be poor nutrition or something. I mean, explain that idea to me. Yeah, so um, I want to first say, of course, there is actual ADD and ADHD that um, mm -hmm. is a chemical imbalance in the brain and the brain actually looks different under scans. But uh, one of the researchers I follow, he talks about it's often over-diagnosed and under-diagnosed at the same time. So some kids who have true ADHD is often under-diagnosed. They don't catch it, but often we over-diagnose it because it is other things. So sleep deprivation can look a lot like ADHD because your brain is tired. And so it's trying to wake you up. And so you get wiggly and you um, need, you know, in your seat, you're standing up because you're tired and your brain is trying to tell your body, wake up, move around. Um, and so that absolutely sleep deprivation can look like that, but also nutrition, because if you're getting kind of these constant, um, highs from sugar overload. So if you eat a high, which 
often kids do high carb, high sugar diets. Mm -hmm. Then they have these spikes, right? So spike of energy where it looks like really crazy because their body is just um, vibrating almost, right? So they have to move all the time and they can't sit and just kind of think about what they're doing. Thank you to everyone who has been part of this with us this year. All the guests, the supporters, the listeners, family education and support services. My name is Bobby Williams. We'll see you in 2022. Peace.